Oh, that is my absolute favorite poem by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. I was trying to find out this morning. This is kind of weird, but I'm weird. I was trying to find out whether he's a Longfellow or not. But when I looked up at the Internet, there was nothing to tell me how tall the poet was. So we'll stick with Longfellow for now. But that, that poem is my favorite Christmas poem for sure. And that song expresses some of how I've lived Advent. And then the, the joyous thing at the end that the, the wrong will fail and the right prevail. And uh, the, the, the reordering of the world in Christ that we hope for. This, this is particularly important to me, this particular carol and the poem, uh, because I went through a hellacious stretch of years, about 20 years, where something in me just turned. And, and Nancy's sitting out here, she'll confirm this, but for about 20 years, I just went into a depression every Christmas, right after Thanksgiving, right at the first week of Advent, and I would be troubled all the way till Christmas Day. And, um, and it, was just, it was just horrid, and I wasn't very fun to be around. I was kind of like Mr. Spoilsport for Christmas and everything, and I just didn't know what was going on, but, but I was fretting about the mess the world was in. And when I see these signs, joy to the world, you know, and everything, I kind of turn and go, but that's not the way it is. Things suck. And, and boy, for like, again, for about 20 years, I was lower than a snake's butt in the wheel rod. I tell you, it was really a bad time. And, and I, I struggled and I would be so blue. And then in about 1996, a friend of mine named Alyssa came back from a, a season of mission in England and rejoined our church. And she came to me and said, Randy, I want to do a special thing on Thanksgiving weekend, the first week of Advent, for Advent preparation. It's sort of a Taizé service with a lot of visual things, and um, I want you to be there. And uh, there, she said she had two reasons for me to be there. One, she thought she could be of help to my condition, and second, she said, after you all are the pastor of the church, and it's a service. So I said, okay, I'll come along. <laughs> she, you know, you ever heard that one? Wake up, Randy, it's time to go to church. Wake up, Randy, it's time to go to church. I don't want to go to church. You got to go to church. I don't want to go to church. You gotta Tell me why I have to go to church. Well, you're the pastor, you know. So, um, it, it was, it was kind of like that. And, and so I was drug into this experience and about 35 or 40 of us around these candles in a dark room. And the service focused on us as individuals and, and focused on where do you find your hope? How, how do you actively wait? for the world to be transformed in Christ. And these, these sorts of questions were put out. And then we, we did a number of things, including, uh, uh, including putting a lit candle in a baby basket, a, a crib or, or stroller full of uh, uh, sand. And then we put candles in, and the actual crib itself was burning light. And um, something happened to me on the spot. And I finally got Advent and got over what I was having. See, I was looking toward Christmas as if all this was to be fulfilled and being disappointed that it wasn't. And then I got the message that Christmas is all about waiting. But it's not a depressed waiting, Advent's about. It's, a, it's an active waiting. It's a hopeful waiting. It's a looking ahead waiting. It's, it's a waiting that says no to the impulses that I was living for all those years. And I finally caught the idea that Advent is a time for us to wait, but it's an active waiting. And I want to talk about that a little bit this morning um, through a text we have. Anybody else here have struggled with Christmas season or anything? And, and I'll, I'll talk about some more of it. There, there's, a, there's a lot of things I've struggled with and getting past this. But listen to this passage, and I think this gives us a flow of how we could view this season and how we could live into it. And if you struggled like I have, it might be helpful. 
if you've never struggled and just loved Christmas, maybe this text will inspire you to live it more deeply. But I, I want to share this with you. It's, it's Isaiah 2, verses 1 through 5. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the last days. The mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many people will come and say, Come and let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes of many people. They will beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for casting this light on your coming in the season we call Advent. Lord, draw us nearer to you, draw us deeper in the understanding of who you are. Transform our thoughts, our lives, our actions, like they've never been changed before in this season. Lord, thank you for your word, and now may the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to just kind of go through the flow of this passage for a few minutes before we come to the Lord's table on this first Sunday of Advent. The mountain of the Lord will be established. This is written for grammarians in the room. This is written in future perfect. In other words, it's a thing that will absolutely happen. The mountain of the Lord will be established. And the mountain of the Lord in in Jewish literature was was Zion, where the temple was eventually built in Jerusalem. And that idea of the mountain of the Lord is this would be the central place where God would be remembered, God would be worshipped, and his word would be lived out in the world and toward the world. It would be a light to the world. And that's the sense of the idea of, of Zion. And it's a decree to God's people about the ultimate coming of the Lord, Jesus, and his establishment as the final authority. And a reminder that it is coming. In fact, it's coming so certainly that some of it's already spilling backwards to us now and capturing us and moving toward what will be. That was the hope that I was missing. Going up to Zion for the Jews was a call to spiritual pilgrimage for cleansing and renewal and worship and anticipation of the Lord's coming. Now, this is where I think Christmas, commercial Christmas and the real Christmas get flipped around. The the real Christmas, uh, going up to Zion, is a time of cleansing and renewal, not necessarily a time of sentimentality and all that's been, but an invitation into all that will be and is being formed already. This is a parallel between what Christians take uh, to regard the ultimate coming of Christ as, that we're always in preparation for that, always being transformed and made ready for that day, and always sort of demonstrating, announcing that hopefulness to the world around us, that cleansing and renewal is real. It's a real parallel to our Advent as a time of waiting. And again, this is not a dull, long, boring afternoon nap of a sort of waiting. This is an expectant waiting. Um, You know, it was the waiting that I would do when I asked the woman out on a date. And I got all ready and drove up to pick her up. And I thought, oh, I hope this goes right. I hope I don't blow it. And until Nancy, I've blown it every time. Um, 
but but this is the this is the this is the feel of things. It, it's a time to renew our devotion to a living faith, and it's also an evangelistic call because when we sing "Joy to the World" or we play it in an excellent fashion on the violin, way to go, buddy! Caleb knocked it out of the park there. But when we when we do something like that and proclaim "Joy to the World," it is evangelistic in its nature. It's saying that the Savior of the world has come, is coming, and this is for real. And it's not a sentimental thing or a little song we learned in Sunday school. It is a proclamation of the Christian faith. It's a declaration of the gospel to a waiting world. It's, it's an introduction to the love of all loves, the hope of all hopes, and the joy of all joys. And you don't have to follow my lead, okay? But I am sick and tired of saying happy holidays. A Christian person that I knew that works at a doctor's office the other day, as she was ushering me out to, the, to out of the place after a doctor appointment, she goes, happy holidays. And I go, Merry Christmas. She says, happy holidays. And I said, you went to seminary. You're ordained. You're working here in an office. Merry Christmas. She goes, well, I, you know, this is a world that has many different faiths and stuff. And I go, yeah, but ours happens to be this Jesus one. We get our shot this time of the year to say, Merry Christmas. And so I have a button I wear almost all Advent it says, Merry Christmas. It's to remind me to say Merry Christmas, poo on Happy Holidays, okay? Um, because I don't want to be politically correct. I want to be known as a follower of Jesus. I want to be a herald of what surely is coming. In that day of the Lord, many will stream to the mountain of Lord from many nations because of our invitation and the savoriness of our lives and our community life and our worship life together. Isaiah goes on to say, he will teach us his ways so that we walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And here's a a flexation in this text. It's a turning point. The opening of this text is a welcome to come up to Zion. Now God tells us through Isaiah what's going to happen to us when we dwell in his presence and worship him together and wait together. And all of a sudden, the turn happens. It's a call for transformed personal lives which radiate love, joy, and peace that's irresistible to a watching world. And, you see, the world's a mess right now. I think you probably figured that out. The, the world's kind of a mess. And, and we appear to be suffocating ourselves in a toxic environment. Racial violence is, is on a terrible rise. Can you imagine a renowned university like Syracuse having to shut down classes and then have escorts on campus to make it safe for an African-American person to go to class? Uh, I'm sorry, folks. That's a world that's just not right. Wars and hatred are on the rise. There's a, this nationalism. I was talking to some uh, out-of-international uh, friends. The, the rise of nationalism around the world is... Um, Potentially scary. Because instead of saying we're all God's children, we're all here under the banner of his love, we begin to pick and choose and say because I'm a God's children that lives in this geographic zip code or national border, I'm somehow special and better and deserve more than other people do. And I don't think that's right. And in the midst of that, Isaiah rings forth hope and order in the midst of disorder. And he talks about the reordering of the world that we're going to be a part of by calling all nations to the mount of the Lord. In other words, we leave our nationalism behind or beneath our devotion to Jesus Christ and following him and his word, which goes out of, out of, of Zion. He will judge the nations. 
He'll settle disputes for many people, straight from the text here. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. My, my heart soars when I hear this kind of radical hope lived out before the world. And can you feel it too? And it's as simple as allowing God's love and grace and the hope to flow through us. I, I was sitting here this morning, I was kind of blown away. I was reading the paper, listening to our band practice and kind of in a worshipful moment. And I'm reading the paper and I got to the section that's, you know, what books are hot this week we want to tell you about. And, and I opened that up and uh, the woman who writes the column says in, in this, in this uh, article that she's writing, she said, I recently met up with uh, Grammy Award winner Brandi Carlisle, spent some time with her to talk about her reading. And to tell us the top four, five books that have influenced you because you're a so, somewhat literate um, singer. And she said one book. And then you know what the number two book was? She's, I love the Bible. I read the Bible all the time. The, the Bible is the best collection of wisdom and what a good world looked like collected over the last three or 4,000 years that you could possibly imagine. I, I'm totally fascinated with, fascinated with and immersed in the Bible, and you'll see it come through in my lyrics and my songs. Okay, that's what God wants for all of us. Jesus wants to leak out of you in this season. So our trip to Zion, our active waiting, results in a transformation in our hearts where we want to draw the world in around us. We want to understand people we don't understand. We want to pray for our enemies, and we want to demonstrate to a watching world what Jesus is like. And that's the invitation in this passage, to be so transformed. And and that's really important to me because so many times Christians read the Bible, Christians do their thing, we gather in a tight Christian community where we feel like we've got it all going on and we're safe, and then we begin to make moral proclamations to the world. And if I'm reading Isaiah right, Isaiah would say, if you're doing that, nice try, but here's a better way. And the better way is, why not let God's love transform you so that Jesus Christ radiates out of you? What if we didn't have to be the moral police by making these pronouncements and getting billboards against this and against that and for this and for that, and instead live Jesus before the watching world? And that's the invitation in this text, to a life that's infectious with the gospel to the world around us just like it's cold and flu season right now. And we we want people to catch the gospel. We want the gospel to be contagious in us. Um, Welcome to Advent 2019. We are two decades into the 21st century already. We just blinked and we got here, it seems like. But this is an invitation in this test to live, to prepare, to wait in order to live boldly, risky, worshipful, and exemplary lives as individuals, and his sanctuary church t- together. And I want to invite you to the Lord's table this morning with Isaiah's concluding line. It's the best wrap-up you could have. Come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Amen.